Welcome to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast, where we feature expert thought leaders and cover the best strategies, stories, and psychology you need to land big ticket clients. Because as you know, you can't catch a whale with a worm. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay, and it is my privilege and honor to introduce you to John Livesey. John, master storyteller. John is a keynote speaker and just an expert for experts. John, thank you for coming on our show. How are you doing today? It's great to be with you, Dr. Pillay. Oh, wow. Now, John, you got to tell us a little bit about your background. We have got to know where you came from. What is the story of John Livesey? Aha, my own little personal story of origin is I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and I was a lifeguard there, and that really was my first big aha moment in my uh, teens of when I had to save a little girl who was drowning, and I realized that all my lifeguard training came to needing to be used immediately where I didn't panic and stayed calm because if she's flailing in the water, I have to stay calm and rely on my training. And that lesson has really helped me my whole career of not to panic and, and stay calm when things happen, whether it's disruption or anything else. And wow. I, uh, <laughs> so that was, that was my big sort of aha moment. And I've had several different careers. One was selling multi-million dollar mainframe computers mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And that was competing against IBM, which used to sell with something called FUD. Fear, uncertainty, uncertainty, doubt. Yes, love it. And they literally say, if you buy anything that's not IBM and it breaks, you're going to be fired. Yeah. So it had nothing to do with how good the product was I was selling or how better performing or lower price. It was all the psychological issues. And I had to overcome those. And uh, then I made a big career change and moved to Southern California and was in the advertising business. Um, taking movies and converting them to 30-second commercials. Mm. And that's really where I learned my storytelling skills. Mm-hmm. How do you take a two-hour movie and condense it to a 30-second soundbite and some images that make people want to go rent it or see it? Yes. And uh, then I went into the world of um, advertising sales with Condé Nast and was there for about 15 years and learned how to take the message of an editor and their voice and their story and how that attracted certain types of people and explained to advertisers ranging from Lexus to guest jeans, why those people who are reading this magazine or this website would be the ideal fit for them. Mm-hmm. And then the last five years I've taken all those lessons of storytelling and selling and written books about it and, and love to work with teams of salespeople as a keynote speaker on teaching them the new way of selling, which is, storytelling instead of pushing which is the old way of doing it push yep. here's my information mm-hmm. um, when you tell stories you pull people in and you become magnetic and that's really the new way of doing it wow and and you know what's interesting john not only am i excited to hear some more of your stories you demonstrated some powerful storytelling techniques even this morning when we first met we had some of the technology difficulties and john was like hey if you've got butterflies, let them fly away. <laughs> I want to thank you. Yes. Yes, to get them, them to work for you. Yes. yes, let them fly in formation. That is powerful. And it's all about how you prepare yourself to tell stories. I love that. Now, John, 
take us back to one incident that I happen to know about regarding a struggle in your journey, right? You know, you, you, came, you came from a spot that wasn't always perfect, right? You got, you got fired or rehired or something happened. What was <laughs> what, what happened? What happened? Yeah. If we go back to 2008, uh-huh. I had been at Connie Nest for about 15 years, and the housing market crashed, mm-hmm. and luxury advertising pretty much came to a standstill. Mm. And they were laying off all the people in the outside offices. I was in LA, and the corporate offices were in New York. And I got that phone call that they were laying everybody out off in the outside offices and 30% of the people in New York. And there was a moment where I thought, wow. Don't panic, stay calm again. Nice. And I said to my publisher, well, she's like, we need everybody out in 24 hours. And I'm like, oh, okay. Wow. I got a lot of stuff here after 15 years. Um, don't you, you want to record? You were there for 15 years and that was the end? Oh, yes. Gosh. So, you know, I had plants and artwork and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, well, don't you want a status report of where the ads are supposed to run going forward and what page number? And she said, well, that would be great, but everyone else we're laying off um, – it's just angry and storming out. I said, I'm mm. not going to do that. I care about my clients too much. I've watched them get married and have kids. And Dr. Pillay, little did I know that that one decision to not storm out and give the status report would benefit me a couple of years later. Wow. So as I was, you know, closing the door to my office, I felt sad and I felt scared um, about the unknown future, but I realized I've lost my job, but not my identity. Mm. Mm. And so then I said, all right, well, the future is digital advertising, not print. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine said, you know, it's a lot like what happened to the movie stars in Hollywood back in the silent movie era. Some of those actors could make the transition from silent to talkies, and some couldn't. Yes, you had to reinvent yourself, huh? And we all have to do that now. So we all have that decision. Are we going to make, are we going to be in the group of people that goes from silent movie stars to talkies as technology keeps disrupting everything? Mm-hmm. And so I learned how to sell digital advertising and um, did that for a website called The Daily Beast. And oh. then two years after I did that, um, which was not easy, it was like learning a whole new language and skill set, um, Connie Nass called me back to c- come back to my old job. Really? And they said, we need somebody who can sell print and digital. And because I left on such a good note, they hired me back and the big thing I said to myself was, if I'm coming back, I'm not coming back with one day of fear. Wow. Because I've lived in fear the whole time. Am I not going to make my numbers, my quota? Is the magazine going to go out of business? Am I going to get laid off because of the economy? So I'm like, I've already survived the worst case scenario. And that's what allowed me to come up with some big ideas that allowed us to do a big event with guest jeans, which mm-hmm. I can tell you about. Yep. But then I ended up winning salesperson of the year for the entire company, not just the magazine. Wow. And I'm the same person, whether I'm being laid off or winning this award. Yep. So my personal mission is to help as many people as possible get off this self-esteem roller coaster. Ooh. Where we only feel good about ourselves if we're winning an award or our numbers are up and bad about ourselves if our numbers are down or we're being laid off. Mm-hmm. And when you realize that who you are is bigger than your job, then you really are free to be your best self. And, you know, this is so fascinating. You know, one of the big ideas that I've heard from you is this idea of being the lifeguard of your own life, right? I mean, you've, you've taken your message all the way from huge corporations, which we call big ticket clients on this show, mm-hmm. to TEDx shows, uh, performances, 
Tell us a little bit about that concept of being the lifeguard of your own life. That's fascinating to me. Thank you. Well, that's the name of my TEDx talk. Mm -hmm. And it is, the concept is unlike in a hurricane, there's no one coming in on a helicopter to save you if you didn't evacuate. Mm. And one of the keys to being the lifeguard of your own life is to get out of your comfort zone. Mm. We all need to get into the learning zone instead because things are happening at such a fast pace. There's no such thing as a comfort zone anymore. Mm-hmm. And if when you embrace change and you embrace disruption and you're in this learning zone, you really are your own lifeguard. Nice. I love that. I hope uh, people are taking notes because I, I'm going to start being a lifeguard now for myself. <laughs> get you a, a whistle and some zinc oxide yeah, yeah. for Mirror sunglasses and you'll be all set. Yeah, I'll be all set, right? Okay. So, so John, let's take a look at sort of where we are today, okay? So today, give us a sense of, of, of what you do beyond the speaking, your ideal clients, the people you help, and maybe if you could, a little bit about the struggles that those people are having in their lives and in their businesses when they find you. What are you doing now? Well, uh, the, I do two things. The big focus that I'm doing is um, helping people with their pitch to get their startup funded or to get new clients. So companies bring me in as the keynote speaker to help them tell better stories because whoever tells the best story gets the sale. So the problems that people are struggling with is salespeople burn out. Mm. Salespeople um, are seen as a commodity. And salespeople don't know how to have a conversation with the client except about price. Mm. And all of that goes away when they shift from being salespeople who push to storytellers who pull. And so whoever tells the best story gets the yes. Yes. And I have a whole premise of getting people to go from invisible to irresistible on a whole program with me. And when that happens, they no longer get burnt out because they're, they become storytellers and they're pulling pe- their ideal clients in because they have a story. And the secret is the old way of selling when you ask someone to hire you, buy your program, whatever it is, is to just you know ask that closing question. Do you want to buy this? Is this for you? But when you tell a story, you paint a picture and people see themselves in the story of someone you helped that was just like them Mm-hmm. And by the way, the hero of the story is your client, not you. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So you're Yoda in Star Wars, or another analogy I use is I'm your Sherpa, helping you climb Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. And the closing question just becomes, does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on? Nice, nice. Very different than hammering. And, and beating people over the head with, with that pushed message. You know, um, yeah. um, John, we, we talked about this before the show. Um, I am a student of this. I'm fascinated by everything you've said, and I get it, and I love it, and I hope everybody's learning from the idea that we got to switch from pushing to pulling. I do have a question, though, about how you do that, okay? So, for example, a lot of people think, okay, do I have to learn how to tell a story? Sure, I've heard people say that it's not about me, it's the heroes, my client. But how do I tell that story in the context of a long-term funnel, right? Does it, do I need one presentation? Do I need to create more content marketing? What do I do over time to sustain that story with a possible prospect? Well, the best way to tell a story with a potential prospect is to understand that there's four elements of a good story. Mm. And if you are, then you're aware of where you are as you're releasing your content. 
Um, so the four elements of a good story are exposition, paint mm-hmm. the picture, who, what, where, when. Mm-hmm. Then you describe the problem. Mm-hmm. And then you describe the solution. And the secret sauce here, Dr. Poulet, is the resolution. What's life like after yeah. the solution? So one of my clients that I worked with, uh, his name is Martin. And I have people uh, stack their moments of certainty to build their confidence when they go to pitch anything. Mm-hmm. And he said, wow, that exercise was powerful for me because what really stands out when I look at my life is I was born in South America, but Mm -hmm. I grew up in the Netherlands. And when I turned 18, my parents took me back to South America and dropped me off naked in the Amazon jungle to survive for two weeks because in my culture, that's a rite of passage into manhood. So I said, Martin, that story gives me goosebumps. Let's work on that. I said, what lessons did you learn in the Amazon jungle? He goes, well, I learned how to focus and pivot and persevere. I said, great. Now you're going to take those lessons from the Amazon jungle to the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And when he had that pitch down and told that story, he got his startup funded because the investor said, we're going to invest in the guy who survived the Amazon jungle. He'll figure out anything else in the business world. Wow. You were able to help him transition that reality for him into a reality for others. Make others feel like they were part of that story. Nice. Exactly. So if you look at why that story works... There's the exposition. He's 18 years old. And I said, Martin, if you don't tell people when he was practicing, he would forget sometimes that it's a rite of passage in your culture. Mm -hmm. It sounds like child abuse. (laughs) So you have to paint the picture that people see themselves in the story. Yes. And the problem, clearly he's naked there for two weeks. The solution is he learns those three life lessons. Yes. And then the resolution of the story is he got funded because that he survived the concrete jungle after surviving the Amazon jungle. Yeah, and the side benefit is no one can forget that story, right? It's totally memorable. No one can forget that story. And even if you haven't had that dramatic of a life story, you do have a story that you can take people on that journey if you use that structure with your content mm-hmm. as you're releasing it, and then you're creating what's called open loops. Yes. So if I say to somebody... I help people answer those three unspoken questions that everybody has in their head when they listen to you pitch anything. Mm-hmm. People are going to say, what are those three unspoken questions? Mm-hmm. So that's an open loop. And so when you're creating content for your people uh, to buy a big ticket item mm-hmm. and you're telling the story in those four stages, create an open loop. Next week, I'll tell you what lessons and if and how Martin survived the jungle. Right. Nice. So everybody's sort of cliffhanger, wait, waiting to hear the next thing. You know, yeah. you know, if you look at people, you know, a lot of people have heard that there's a strong connection between story and marketing and they want to do it. It's, it's out there. Mm-hmm. However, what, what sort of belief systems um, do they bring with them that sort of get in the way? Or what, what, what sort of misconceptions might they have about how to implement the kinds of things you teach? to get to be successful? What struggles do they go through when you work with people? I think the biggest belief problem people have is that people buy information. Mm. And I say people buy transformation, not information. Yes. And people go, well, and then also they have the order reversed of what they need to do to connect with people. The old way of thinking is if I... If you know me and my product, if I give you a bunch of information, mm-hmm. then you're going to know me and my product. Then you're going to like me, and then you'll trust me. Mm-hmm. And that order is completely wrong. So the right order is people have to trust you first. It's the gut. It starts at the gut. Mm-hmm. Eye contact, credibility, 
fact, the handshake was to show you didn't have a weapon in your hand. Mm. So once you get past that fight or flight response with people, then it moves from the gut to the heart. Do I like you? And here's the big secret for that. The better you can show empathy and explain the problem you're solving for your client, the more they think you have the solution. Nice. I love that. And then it moves to the head. Mm -hmm. Will this work for me? And that's where they see themselves in the story. And it's not about information. Yeah. So, 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 using this and working for them, they're still not going to give you a yes. So gut, heart, head is the right order. Wow. And I love the way you said that. You, you, you actually point to it, right? You go, you, you point to your, your stomach, your, your heart, and then your head as a way of explaining that. that. That's very easy to sort of internalize the way you express that. You know, I, I would love to know um, sort of some of the, the, the learnings that you've had in your journey. For example, I know that you met Michael Phelps, the Olympic star, and you, you shared with me that you learned some, some great nuggets. Could you share kind of your interaction with Michael Phelps? Yes. Well, I think part of what makes that interesting is how do you meet someone like that? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a sales story within a life story. Mm. Um, so I was selling ads for W Magazine, a high fashion magazine, and Speedo Swimwear was here in LA, and they were coming out with a line of sportswear. And that is not normally the kind of ad you see in a high fashion magazine. And they said, when I went to talk to them, they said, we're going to advertise in a fitness magazine. And I said, yes, but what if? And that's secret words to get people in the right brain imaginations. What if, paint that picture, mm -hmm. we treated your sportswear like it was high fashion. Mm. And we had a fashion show around the swimming pool. Mm -hmm. And you could invite Michael Phelps because he's on your payroll as a, as a spokesperson and we would get all kinds of publicity of doing something that hadn't been done before and Michael Phelps would be there. And they mm -hmm. said, we like it, we'll run ads with you and I got to meet Michael Phelps. Wow. <laughs> so I went up to him and I said, uh, you know, and being a former lifeguard, it was a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. um, people say you're a great swimmer because your lungs are so big and your feet are like fins. And I'm guessing there's something else besides your physical. And he said, oh, yeah, when I was in training, starting out, my coach said to me, Michael, are you willing to work out on Sundays? And Michael said, yes, coach. He goes, we just got 52 more workouts a year than anyone else. So, Dr. Play, the lesson Michael Phelps taught me and has taught everyone now is, what are you willing to do that your competition isn't willing to do or hasn't thought to do? Wow. And for you, for you, as you became who you are today, what are one of the two, one or two or three things that you've been willing to do that other people hmm. probably just don't want to go and try? Uh, well, I really, I'm excited to tell that story. Um, I was on the phone with Anthem Insurance Mm -hmm. And it was between me and another speaker who was going to get hired to speak in front of their hundreds of nurses and MBAs and all that. And they started asking me questions like, have you spoken to other healthcare companies? Mm -hmm. And I had not at that point. So I I'd said, um, no, but I, I have one more question for you. What is going on in the two-day summit? Whoever gets to be your keynote speaker opens the day, and then what happens? And they told me, and they said, at the end of the first day, we're going to have an improv session and we're going to have people from the audience shout out objections and mm -hmm. the people on stage are going to role play and handle those objections. I use my magic phrase. Well, what if I stayed for no additional charge on would be on stage with the people during the improv role play and mm -hmm. I could whisper in their ear if they got stuck and I would remind them of some of the things I said in the keynote of how to handle an objection. Mm -hmm. He said, 
We hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, yeah. The magic, the two-word magic system. What if? (laughs) And I became irresistible at that point because I thought of something that no other speaker, they just fly in and fly out. Mm -hmm. And that's an example of doing something or coming up with something that nobody else had thought to do that got me hired at Anthem. And then when I was doing it, they said, oh, my God, you really are the pitch whisperer. Uh, (laughs) Can we be in our ear when we're in the field? Yeah. You know, John, I really enjoy the way you sort of take the world and bring it down into some nice bite-sized nuggets that, that are shareable. That's, that's a strategy right there. And you've mm-hmm. said things like the pitch whisper. You've talked about the two-step system. Say, ask, ask people, what if? I love yeah. all that. Um, a lot of these solutions are encapsulated in your several books. But I, and I want to talk about uh, the Better Selling Through Storytelling book. But you want to know how you got on my radar. Someone who is a follower of yours told me that there's a gentleman who has used his podcast to basically launch a book. And I know this is a different book, not better selling, but tell me right. how you sort of, you seem to be an expert at taking the world and just pulling ah. it down for the rest of us to learn. Tell us more about that book and then better selling. Or better selling through storytelling. Yes. Well, the book you're referring to is called The Successful Pitch, which is the same name as my podcast. So that's the first takeaway for everybody. Brand consistency. Yes. So the name of the podcast and the name of the book, and I um, have a service that transcribes all of my podcasts and turns it into content. And that's how I'm creating weekly content without having to write a word. Nice. So I post it on LinkedIn every week, and I picked 10 of my favorite guests and got their permission to turn that transcript into a book. Yes. And most of those guests had huge social media followings, mm-hmm. and so they would promote the book because they were in the book. Yes. Yes. And that's how, and then that allowed me to get on television as the expert on how to ask for what you want and get a yes. Nice. So that podcast turned into a book turned into getting on television, which then helps promote my speaking career because people either see me on TV or they see the uh, buzz around how to have a good pitch. And then uh, my new book, better selling through storytelling just takes that concept and broadens it for everyone um, of the keys, secrets on uh, storytelling. You know, I, I love your path. So you went from a podcast, which led to another step and led to another step. Tell us a little bit, the, the, the idea of podcasting is, is really growing as mm-hmm. a form of storytelling, but really a form of building authority, celebrity, and even selling. Obviously, I, I believe it. That's what I do as well. But I want to hear your perspective on podcasting. How did you get into it? What have you discovered about why it works? Or, or what are your opinions about podcasting? Well, podcasting to me, it was one of the smartest things I did about 208 episodes ago, one a week. Oh, wow. Congratulations, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Thank you. And the journey of that story is um, when I was working for myself, helping people with their pitch. Uh, a lot of them were startups needing help with their pitch to get funded. They said, oh, I'm definitely going to pay you to help me with my pitch and my pitch deck, but I need introductions to investors Mm. after I have this great pitch. And I said, I don't know any, and I don't do that. And then they said, but we will pay you for those introductions as part of the package of the pitch. Yes. And enough people kept saying that to me. I kept thinking, wow, that's the, when your clients are saying what their needs are and you don't have a solution, that's when you start. And someone said to me, why, why don't you start a podcast and start interviewing investors? And then you could build up a network of investors who you could introduce people to after they have a great pitch from you. And I said, why don't I go to the moon? 
I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I don't know what mic to buy. I don't know how to interview a guest. I don't know how to uh, promote it or edit it or any of that stuff. Yeah. So for me, I realized I had a lot of fear going on. And mm. I decided, what am I afraid of? I got to put some faces on it so I can figure out how to handle it. And the first fear was the fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to approach someone like, I don't know, Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank to be on my podcast. What if he says, well, can I have listen to some other episodes? You'd be like, oh, you'd be one of the first. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, but I've been in sales long enough that the secret to handling rejection is never reject yourself. Ooh. You know, I've been writing down some of your comments, John. Just so you know, my pages are full here. <laughs> this is amazing <laughs> stuff. So the secret to, to, to handling rejection is never reject yourself. Another thing you pulled down from the universe. I love it. Thank you. Yes, because I used to reject myself all the time when I wouldn't get a sale at Condé Nast. They'd go to another magazine. I'm like, oh, maybe that magazine's better. Maybe another rep could have gotten it. So you'd never reject yourself. So then the second fear, I was like, well, the fear of failure. What if I have a podcast and nobody downloads it? I'll waste time and money. I'll be embarrassed. I realized the secret to overcoming the fear of failure is look at failure as feedback. Keep going until you get a zombie idea so great it won't die. Yes. And then the final fear for me was the fear of the unknown. As I said, I didn't know how to edit it or anything. And the the way to conquer that, the fear of the unknown, is don't go it alone. Collaborate. Get someone yes. else to help you. That's their specialty. Done for you podcasting. The comp- you know, they do all that and they take all that off my plate. Yes. So, so that's how I launched my podcast. And then it's evolved into um, interviewing other thought leaders and authors and even other speaking bureau. And that's how it helps me get relationships with speaking agents who um, I can pr- help them promote their speaking bureau and they get to know me and then they represent me and um, I get more speaking engagements from using my podcast. Wow. You know, I, I'm just going to put a line in the sand right now. And for whoever's listening to this, and John, please agree with me if you do. Podcasting is a secret sauce that a lot of people uh, may not be aware of. It really, everyone I've talked to that is, that is doing this tells me exactly what you've just said. It is powerful. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so John, you know, we, we've talked quite a bit about your background and how you got here and, you know, the context that your current uh, clients and your different uh, clientele um, are living in. Could you tell us maybe a sense of what success looks like for your, you know, two or three different categories of clients, the people you work with? What does success look like for them after they've interacted with John Livesey? <laughs> well, the biggest step is, uh, and I ask my clients this when it's between me and another speaker, and this is so important whether you're a coach or whatever it is you're selling, realize that it's usually the between, you're in the final two. Yes. You know, like an audition for an actor for a sitcom or whatever it is, right? So it's between you and somebody else. So come up with some ideas like that Anthem Insurance where you can be irresistible and not just who has the best price. But success, I will ask my clients, let's future pace them. I'll say, let's have a, pretend we're having a conversation a week after I give the keynote in the workshop. What mm-hmm. does success look like? And they'll say things like, well, the salespeople have a new, a new tool in their toolbox. Instead of pushing information, they're telling stories now and uh, the revenue is going up because they now have a roadmap of how to go from invisible to irresistible of which clients they're working with. And they will be not only motivated, but entertained and have some actionable takeaways that are going to set the whole tone for the two day summit. Yes. Nice. So, so basically you, by asking them questions, you help them establish what success looks like even in their minds. And so now yes. everybody, 
everybody knows what it feels like to be to arrive there. You know, John, I could listen to you and talk with you for hours and, and continue to learn from you. You know, if you had one, two, or three closing nuggets, and I know you've shared quite a few, but let's say mm-hmm. someone said, okay, John, here's your chance to tell us what to go do so we can find our success out in the sales world. What would you yes. share? Well, the one would be the famous tennis pro, Arthur Ashe, who said the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. Mm. So the better prepared you are, the more confident you are, the more successful you are. So I'm a big believer of uh, really being prepared. And also the other big takeaway is realize that Plato said storytellers rule the world. Nice. And if you want to, it's just as true today as it was then. So the key to becoming successful is tell the best story. I love that, and I appreciate that so much. In fact, uh, my last question for you would be, how can anyone who wants to learn how to get big-ticket clients through better selling, through storytelling, get a hold of you so that you could possibly either give them more learning or you could coach them or, or anything like that? How can people get a hold of you? What's the most efficient way? most efficient way is just to go to my website, which is johnlivesay.com, L-I-V is in Victor, E-S-A-Y. Or if you can't remember that or the name of my book, Better Selling Through Storytelling, which is on all the channels of buying books, you, which is on Audible now that I narrated, um, you can also just Google The Pitch Whisperer and all my content will show up that way. And that's usually sometimes easier for people to remember. So you are the pitch whisperer. I love that. That's an easy one for me to remember as well. So, John, I just want to say thank you so much for spending some time with us. It has been a blessing and an honor. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Ticket Clients Podcast. For more episodes and strategies, visit BigTicketClients.com. That's www.BigTicketClients.com. And remember, you can't catch a whale with a worm.